spirituality, consciousness, health, and mindset. Welcome to the Ascent Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Together, we are all wisdom knowledge. Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the Sen Podcast, we are joined by Roger Nelson. He is the director of the Global Consciousness Project, where they research and study collective consciousness. And his professional focus is the study of consciousness and intention and the role of the mind in the physical world. And his work integrates science and spirituality. And Nelson began using random event generators, REG technology, in the field to study effects of special states of group consciousness. Then this led him to a global distributed network of REGs around the world, sending data continuously all over the internet to a server in Princeton. And the network is designed to register indications of global consciousness responding to major world events that happen in the world, such as 9-11, the beginnings of the war, New Year's Eve, and many more. And just to give you a super quick breakdown in his work, they actually found huge correlations occur when mass events happen that cause shared emotion in the world and significant changes occurred in their random number generators, suggesting that when human consciousness becomes coherent, the behavior of random systems may change. And random number generators, RNGs, are based on quantum tunneling, produce completely unpredictable sequences of zeros, zeros and ones, But when a great event synchronizes the feelings of millions of people, their network of RNGs becomes structured. They actually calculate that one in a trillion odds that that effect is due to chance. So their evidence suggests that coherent consciousness creates order in the world and subtle interactions link us with each other in the earth, which many ancient people have talked about for the over millennia. So the data suggests that we are all a part of a mass consciousness and are interconnected in ways that we don't actually realize and if you guys do want to do dig into this research behind all of this and as you guys know it can be quite hard in only one or two hours of having a guest on the podcast in them short frame times when there is so much more behind a point for the guest to back up everything they see in such a sliver of time and it would get really technical so please feel free to check out all the work at the Global Consciousness Project by going to global-mind.org or just search the Global Consciousness Project on the internet and dig into more of the technical stuff. And just before we do delve into this one, and just to let you guys know as well, me and Chris have also now launched a new video show where you do get to see our beautiful faces. So please head over to our YouTube channel and check that out. And that is under Ascend on YouTube. And if you guys are loving the podcast and you want to support the podcast, you can do so now by going to our Patreon page. And Patreon allows you guys to crowdfund this thing and in the process you get received some really cool rewards. Patreon really is the best way to support us. And one of the most popular reward tiers that we have on our Patreon page is the Ascend Online Hangout. And basically it is a group where all of us like-minded people all get together we share some ideas, have some fun, and really go deep down the rabbit hole all together. And these hangouts are staged every month. And we all know it can be hard to find other like-minded people who do want to engage in these deep topics. And we would love to all see you join in on that, join in on the monthly hangouts. We would love to connect with you, hear your journeys, and just hear the type of things that's on your minds. 
So if this does tickle your fancy, please head over to our Patreon page and join in on the community. And this can be found at the Ascend website or go to www.patreon/ascend. So anyway, let's jump in with this one. Enjoy. Roger, we're both um, really both looking forward to having a conversation with you for a while now, and you've been on our radar for a while now. And um, consciousness is a huge topic, and it's probably one of the most mysterious phenomena that we know of as well. And it can be very hard to wrap your head around. And there's um, we know as well as many different theories out there as well. And I think it's amazing because what I'm definitely seeing over the last few years is this growing openness towards the deeper views of consciousness. And I mean, you've been in this field for a very long time, so you are probably better to touch on this, but do you actually think there is this growing openness towards deeper views of consciousness now in the world? Are you seeing that? Uh, well, I, <clears throat> this brings up a, a bit of a, of a concern. I'm uh, not, I didn't understand the question exactly. You were asking me if I'm seeing uh, something like a convergence of more and more people is that what you're asking yeah yeah i would like to say yes indeed but i'm not sure i i see a kind of combination of um you know strife and dissolution while very while i think there is an increasing number of people in groups who are trying to put things together and trying to do whatever uh, kinds of things they can think of to create a, a brighter future, something a little more spiritual, and so on. So it's yes and no. Uh, unfortunately, the political world is just full of strife, and, and that, that pulls a lot of us away from thinking about how to do things well. Mm. well uh, so I was just wondering, um, Roger, why do you think like this is, and why do you think it's not as well? Like... Why isn't there like these deeper views of consciousness? Um, you know, sometimes uh, I am uh, almost inclined to a mythological view where there are mm-hmm. um, gods and demons, and um, there are demons around, and they're uh, they're uh, they're the kind of people that we uh, think about when we say greed and power are are the wrong way to go. Uh, there are, uh, unfortunately, too many such people, and even more unfortunate, they are the sort of people who gravitate toward power, mm-hmm. and they, um, be, be, because of their uh, skillful manipulation of things, they take over the airwaves, and, and they attract a lot of uh, followers who are somehow convinced that they're, that this, they're that they, the followers, will be better off by following yeah. rather than creating their own path. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with that. And I think as well, you're completely right, Roger, as well. And But I think as well, what I'm, I'm saying as well, which is because I like to be positive sometimes as well, but I like to I definitely see with the emergence of like technology and the internet as well over the, like, the last 10 years and things like that, there does seem to be this huge shift in the way of sort of there's even a huge shift that I'm seeing now. I mean, me and Chris obviously interact with a lot of people now, and we we're both seeing that there's this there's this sort of like this huge shift. Yeah, there's like there's this huge shift even in the way that people actually view their own reality, in the way that people sort of even have this growing openness now towards the deeper views of consciousness now in the world as well, which I think is beautiful. So you are uh, you are seeing 
through your work, a, 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 a pronounced shift. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for telling me that. I love that. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not a person who spends very much time in the, in the world of um, high-speed communication. Mm-hmm. I recognize that that is a, you know, a physical network that's kind of parallel to the, um, what shall I call it, the unconscious spiritual network that I tap into with my work. But they, uh, the two of them complement each other. And I think between the two of them, there is a really good chance that we'll make progress toward this kind of uh, noosphere, a sheath of intelligence for the Earth that Teilhard de Chardin spoke about so beautifully so long ago. We're on the way to doing that. We don't have any choice. We must do that. Um, and it's probably just a bump in the road that I see and. It sounds like you guys are seeing the other side of that bump already. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, definitely. And as well, just um, I want to touch on something as well because I read in some very uh, interesting some of your when I was researching you, um, Roger. I was reading as well that you ins- you actually inspired a lot of your work by um, I think he was called Teilhard de Jean. Is that how you pronounce his name? Teilhard de Chardin. Yeah. But I was wondering, I know, that I know, obviously, I know you wrote in a lot of your writing sort of thing that you were inspired by him. I heard you mention it, I think. But if that is true, what were those ideas and how do you think like your research actually relates to the ideas of Teilhard? Because I know he was a very fascinating guy as well. Yes, he was a um, um, paleontologist, you know, a highly qualified scientist who uh, did important research that those of, those, anybody who pays attention to anthropology and um our ancient history as humans knows about. At the same time, he was a Jesuit priest. And then thirdly, he was a kind of um, far-seeing philosopher. And one of the first books that I came across uh, from him was called The Phenomenon of Man. And that book uh, created a picture of evolution starting with the, you know, um, dead particles, which banged into each other and at some point uh, created um, molecules that were more complicated, and eventually those became living molecules. And so he goes through this entire history of evolution um, as a Jesuit priest, by the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> no 6,000-year-old uh, world for him. And he, um, and then so he, he goes on to say eventually these living uh, uh, molecules became creatures who became more complex and eventually wound up uh, with human beings. And we humans, he said, have um, conceived of ourselves as the pinnacle of evolution, but that is a short, um, kind of a mistaken view. We're not finished yet. There's another stage that we will and must um, uh, go pr- proceed into, and that stage he called um, the evolution of a planetary consciousness, which he referred to as the noosphere, meaning well, it was a combination of knowledge and, and the same sphere that we think of as atmosphere and biosphere and so forth. This noosphere would be a, a layer of intelligence on the Earth and become a kind of brain for the Earth, the whole Earth. And um, I, I think I was inspired by that. Probably in uh, when maybe in the 1960s I might have read that first, and uh, he has an, another couple of other uh, really nice books, The Future of Man, also. But the 
um, the picture that he drew and, uh, was one of a, a necessary stage of evolution. I thought, that sounds absolutely right. And he said, we may have to wait 10,000 years to see that. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, oh. <laughs> let's see if we can't <laughs> see. Uh, so ultimately, after a lot of uh, steps in between, I got to um, build a network an instrument which sort of encircles the globe, which I thought might be capable of detecting, detecting the first signs of an infant noosphere consciousness, a kind of global consciousness. So that's the, that's the genesis of my work, and it was definitely inspired by K.R. de Chardin. Well, that's, uh, well, that's very fun, fa- fascinating, Roger. Um, Roger, when you touched on, like, Going into this evolutionary, um, the next evolution, which is like planetary consciousness, how do we get to that level? Like, do we all have to be at like the same f- sort of frequency? No, I. Well, that's an interesting uh, way to put the question. There is something about frequencies and, and vibrations and, and uh, being on the same wavelength that, which I think is very important. But we don't all have to be there, uh, fortunately because I, that's not, that doesn't look very likely anytime soon. What does have to happen is that very large numbers of people um, uh, need to come to understand this um, role that we all have uh, in principle as members of a species, members of a, well, let me put it this way. In principle, I think human beings are a little bit like we are analogous to neurons in the brain. The neurons, as you know, they're about ten, rough, on the order of uh, 10 billion, which isn't so much different from the number of people on the planet. But um, what neurons do is just they, um, they do their thing as neurons. They perform beautifully the task for which they're built. In other words, they, be, they are the best neurons they can be. And the result, even though they don't know anything about it, don't need to know anything about consciousness is that they create us as conscious beings those neurons just doing their job connecting to each other and um, working together in concert do things like hearing and seeing and thinking and imagining and um, in a way i think we are like those neurons we haven't uh, yet learned how to be um, the best humans we can be. We haven't learned really how to do human <laughs> very well. I mean, of course, there are some people who do a magnificent job of being human, but too many of us are still on the learning path. But the, as, So what I think is necessary for us to make ser- really a serious progress is to recognize the potential we have. Now, and that doesn't necessarily solve the problem. We have to then implement the potential we have to work hard or pay attention anyway and try to uh, live up to our potential. As soon as uh, we have, I would say, a, a few million people who are very conscious of this, uh, we can engage in what I think of as conscious evolution. We can, in other words, uh, be consciously moving toward that um, sort of omega point that Teilhard de Chardin was talking about. We, in other words, we can strive purposefully to become an intelligent layer on the earth. 
Well, I love that, by the way. I love absolutely love that, and I love when you talk, when you're talking about like describing humans as neurons in the brain. Because all I was thinking of as my head there was just like this complete global network of all these sort of collective humans all coming together. I thought it was beautiful. It just created a great picture in my mind as well. But um, just before as well, um, when you were talking about Teilhard before, and you were talking about how he was creating um, a picture revolution, and I know as well um, in some of Teilhard's uh, work, he suggested uh, the existence of a goal-directed or goal-oriented evolution of consciousness. And it's very yeah. interesting as well because um, we talked about this in the last podcast as well but there's a German I think he's a German theorist called Koch but he was talking about how he made a statement talking about how the uh, the entire universe sorry the entire cosmos that's what he said is immersed with sentience and he talks about how we're we actually all, are all surrounded and immersed in this consciousness and he was talking about how it's actually in the air we breathe in the soil and I think they were talking about how it's even in the bacteria and even our it even enables us to think as well but he he was also talking about how the the universe is this constant like spreading web of consciousness which I thought was beautiful at the time when I heard it and um and I was actually thinking maybe maybe the universe is starting to become more self conscious now and obviously a lot of your work as well started leading towards that as well and if we do sort of um look at planet Earth now we can definitely like from my perspective anyway I know everyone's different uh, perspectives different but we can definitely see that we now are now sort of becoming more in connected uh, in connected sorry with our technology and um if we do sort of manage to avoid a natural disaster or something like that god knows what will come of, con- uh, come of consciousness but i was wondering do you actually think that uh, the evolution of consciousness has a goal in terms of like a cosmic sense and if so do you, why do, uh, what do you think it is well if i were to take a cue from tehar it would be um, a kind of universal consciousness he didn't have any um, illusions or, or um localized convictions about the limit and any limitation I think his probably he probably would he didn't write this as far as I know, mm-hmm. but he would probably say, you know, our next stage is to become a um, noosphere for the Earth, a layer of intelligence on the Earth. But he didn't uh, exclude at all the possibility that the whole of uh, the whole of creation is all one. I think he knew that from um, his own personal conviction, his spiritual training, and from from knowing everything that about from knowing that always in our whole history as human beings we have understood that we are one we have often strayed mightily mighty far from the path in fact most of our history has strife but it but in principle the the sages the wise ones in every culture that we know um, had the same understanding that we are interconnected in a way that it means literally that we are one. We are part of a whole. And um, our ideas about individualism and um, competition and strife and so forth, those are kind of, those are aberrations from what we, what, from what we are in principle. Yeah, like it, yeah, Roger, I agree. It, it does seem like, um, like kind of like the universe is like gradually waking up, like, and we are a part of like this larger cosmic process. Um, Roger, what do you think, like, all your work and research which you've done with the Global Consciousness Project suggests about the nature of consciousness? Well, I, I think um, and to answer that, I'll go back to uh, what you were saying about your previous guest, um, that uh, I- image of a, of a conscious universe and that everything, rocks and the trees and the air, everything has, is consciousness and we are completely surrounded in all of that uh, sort of thing. I uh, I think that's probably true in some sense. And but what I think is probably very important for us to do is to think 
uh, in practical terms. If that's so, or, or even if we didn't believe that, what can we do to move toward a brighter future? And so I think in terms of, um, of uh, the practical aspect of, of working toward that, uh, you know, and, and working toward fulfilling the potential that we have as human beings. And there are teachers in, um, in every age. Uh, there are whole gigantic uh, uh, um, literatures about how to become a, a really full-scale human being. But there are some very simple things that um, our present, ter- present uh, wise ones talk about. And one of them, for example, is uh, the Dalai Lama, who says, if you um, want to be happy, be compassionate to others. And if you want to be happy yourself, be compassionate toward yourself. Things like that. So the, the point is that a very, very powerful tool that we have, it's always available, is compassion. If we don't understand compassion, we have a, um, a, a duty to, to learn. We have to learn what it means to be compassionate, what it means to be connected by way of compassion to other people. So back to the, the global consciousness data, one of the things that we see um, correlated with strong effects in our data is events that evoke or produce a tremendous amount of compassion across the world. When, we, when, when the events are like that, um, might be a tragedy, but it might also be some kind of celebration, we see very large effects, and I think there's a natural connection. Because what I believe is creating the correlations that are in our data is interconnections among people, a most natural way of thinking about how that happens is by way of, of uh, feelings, emotions like love and compassion. Those are connecting emotions. They literally are about connecting with other people. Yeah, definitely. I, lo- I love that, by the way, as well. And um, just before as well, Roger, when you were slightly, you were slightly mentioned and touched on your work, I know as well in a lot of um, your work and research, you really do put forward some very strong evidence in regards to certain events. And like you were talking about before, about um, how certain events and correlations can affect sort of um, consciousness in the world. And it's very interesting because it's, it's clear to, to me as well that to see that when uh, major global events they can spark and engage people's minds and influence the masses thinking I think it's been going on through all the times and it's very interesting to see and I know obviously a lot of your work is really starting to back up and it's very interesting because um, if this is true it seems to me that especially with obviously like I said before all your amazing work and the work of many others who have been putting the work in this as well we can definitely see that they do encourage us to sort of make these sort of essential healthy changes to like systems that do dominate our world so then that must make the argument if subtle effects can affect consciousness it must raise the question to me like what could a large group scale consciousness have and obviously and what could effects could actually have on the physical world and I was actually thinking knowing all this we could actually sort of intentionally work towards sort of this bright and more conscious future right i'm again i'm a little uncertain about the mm, details of your question but i think uh, what we're talking about is um the the nature of um of um, of global consciousness Mm -hmm. if we are um if we're driven by events from the outside, like if a, a great emergency occurs, mm-hmm. then we are all focused by that emergency and 
to uh, see the same thing, feel the same feelings, think the same thoughts. And so we become synchronized by events uh, impinging upon us in the world. So, and that um, produces the effects that we see where random number generators in a network that um, we have spread around the world, those very high quality random uh, devices become slightly less than random. They become slightly correlated with each other, even though they're designed to be independent and they're, and they're also placed miles or thousands of kilometers um, separated from each other. Mm. So the upshot of, of that is that I think the, uh, that something like a, a synchronization, um, a coherence of large numbers of people creates something new in the world, a kind of global consciousness, which is uh, sufficiently coherent that it provides information that can be absorbed by this random number generator network, a kind of mechanical um, uh, abstraction in a, in a certain sense. And yet, but it is one which, to which important uh, information is very important. So we create a kind of um, source of, of information that's, uh, that's um, organized and coherent and resonant enough to actually in, invade this random um, network that's sitting out waiting for something to happen and changing it very slightly so that it actually it, we actually see correlation between the devices wow. so, yeah I don't know is that uh, oh I mean and I should add one more uh, item I mentioned that we are driven to um, synchronized consciousness and coherence, resonance among ourselves by events in the world, but we can also do that on purpose. We can just, we can arrange to all meditate at the same time or arrange to all pray for peace at the same time um, in wherever we are in the world. And that also shows up in our network. So we can create intentionally from within the conditions of co coherence and resonance and in Either case, our network responds as if it's been given some information that it needed. Well, I was just about to jump in there, Roger, because when you're touching on meditation, there actually came in my mind. There, I was actually wondering as well: have you done any? Have you actually done any research on the effects of like like of a collective meditation? And if so, what were yeah. they, what were their effects? Well, uh, there's a variety of different kinds of events that fall more or less into that same er territory. And out of the 500 formal events um, that we have looked at, about 100 of them are like that. They're not all meditations, and they're, uh, even the meditations are not all the same kind of meditation, but in all cases, they, they are organized uh, usually over the web and by word of mouth to bring as many people as possible to do the same thing. Some of them are peace marches and demonstrations um, for peace, that sort of thing. Some have to do with, um, um, well, the environment, trying, there's Earth Day every year, and we take a look at the data during Earth Day every year, and we find that on, uh, in most, on most of those days, we have a pretty strong effect. Wow. So, so what we're looking at is something that one of my colleagues, who has done a kind of comprehensive examination of this kind of thing, he calls... He calls that um, 
um, global harmony events. There are uh, a variety of different kinds of things fit nicely into the idea of global harmony, and they produce a uh, thousand to one odds against chance that those um, that the data should look like they do um, when you look at all those kinds of events. So the upshot, the implication is, when we try when uh, to come together, when we work to be one um, intentionally, uh, we do become one and we become effective in this abstract and uh, kind of electromechanical way. Uh, we, we, make, we have an influence on the way the uh, physical world is by changing these random number generators. Well, Roger, that was very powerful, very powerful indeed. And this is this podcast right now is really showing people how much impact that each and every one of us can actually affect this global community. And this is what I'm actually thinking right now, uh, Roger. Is there actually ever been like a time where like we've ever had this before, where we're all on this high frequency, we're all given compassion? Because it seems like throughout history we've had various events of such negative energy such a grand focus say like world war one and world war two that they actually put people's vibrational energies on a such a negative feeling and, and as we've seen on that global scale it had mass destruction mass terror and and right. it completely changed the whole concept of like the world really but is there anything being like this before where we're all on a compassionate level um i yeah I, I'm not sure whether this is exactly aiming, uh, you know, like uh, answering a question, but we look at also, we look at great tragedies, we look at terror attacks like 9-11, and we look at things like the uh, tsunami that destroyed uh, Fukushima reactors in Japan and the earthquake that destroyed Haiti and killed 300,000 people. We look at those things, and they, they draw, you know, a tremendous amount of, um, emotional uh, connection. Some of it is uh, anger and fear in some cases, and some of it is also love and compassion. And in any case, those kinds of powerful events also cause our network to change. So they, in other words, have in just the, in the same way, apparently the same way as our uh, global harmony events do, the global disharmony events are also capable of uh, bringing us all together in in some fashion. Now, I think one of the things that we that is related to what you were asking is, what about those uh, terror attacks and so on? I don't know whether, uh, whether you were, well, it's hard to guess, you know, it's already, what, 15 years ago that uh, 9-11 happened? I remember very... Uh, uh, clearly exactly what I was doing and all that kind of thing. And I remember uh, thinking after the attacks were over, during the next day or so, I thought, this will surely bring us all together and uh, make us change our ways. So these kinds of things don't um, aren't um, brought into being. In other words, I thought this would um, be a stimulus to to uh, take a step forward, become better humans. It actually did not do that. I thought, for, I, I was under the impression for a month that we were on our way to um, a better world, 
because this tragedy had brought so many people to consciousness of how unnecessary and how terrible that kind of thing is. Um, but ultimately, the war machine took over and destroyed that uh, possibility of a, a collaborative um, movement toward future. Yeah. So, um, the, but the, uh, in, uh, the reason I'm talking more about that is that I think that even tragedies have their uh, possibility, have their potential for bringing us uh, forward uh, toward the, uh, uh, I'll use um, uh, Teilhard de Chardin's term again, toward the omega point. That's the goal of becoming one. Yeah, I love that, by the way, as well. And just to touch on a point as well, because when you were talking about how the, the war machine sort of took over, it's very interesting to me because I think it, it, that also that question, that, uh, that topic as well comes down, I think, perceptions in people's minds, because I think a lot of people are on this frequency where they'll see the news channels and things like that. And it actually looks like they're taken over by all this sort of this this hate and all this war that's in the world but they 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 are just a minority and i think as well what i've noticed is like the um there's like a big there is a big generation that voices that are coming forward now with like podcasts and youtube channels and all these things that are actually sort of coming from the back scenes now and are coming forward and pushing and i think as well like i said before it might it might only just be the the down a perception of what actually the majority are actually seeing on the news to think that like you don't understand what I mean it's quite hard to get that across but that's what I feel anyway right I uh, I love hearing that I think it's true I think we are making a, a, some progress and I wish it were as fast as we imagine it is yeah yeah definitely <laughs> and, and I honestly believe that when we imagine things uh, strongly and um in a cooperative way, they become much more uh, likely to happen. In other words, what we wish for is vastly more uh, likely to occur in the world than if we didn't wish for it. Mm -hmm. So, And if we wish uh, two of us together or a group or a million of us together, then we have a much more powerful effect on the way the future will develop. Uh, ultimately, I think there, that we cannot lose if we... Uh, you know, survive the next uh, few years, the next decade, few decades, um, I, I am virtually certain that we'll actually achieve a turnaround where far more people are aligned with the positive and creative view that you and we uh, share that then um, that this militaristic and uh, greed-based um, uh, economy, <laughs> uh, the uneconomical economy <laughs> of w making war, that will go away. It has to go away. Yeah, and the more we work together, the more we, we used to have a sign in the laboratory at Princeton University, uh, which said, if we all work together, we can totally subvert the system. And that's what we now have <laughs> as our task. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I love that, by the way, as well. And um, just before as well, I don't want to touch on a point before, because when you were talking about um, with a lot of your work as well, sort of how mass consciousness can be affected by global events, which I, I definitely do 100% believe, and I've seen your research as well, and it's an absolutely amazing body of research. But um, this, is, this is something I would love to ask you. I mean, how do you actually think this um, like this global uh, consciousness actually works? And I know that, I know this is a million-dollar question, but I would love to just see your, like, obviously your general opinion on it. I mean, is this actually tapping into some sort of field of awareness or informational field because it seems to be to me anyway that our brains are sort of 
communicating on these invisible pathways. I would love to see your thoughts on that. Okay, I'm uh, not a theorist, but I certainly do think about this. <laughs> and I have a pet theory, I mean, a kind of idea uh, that's comprehensive uh, uh, and does uh, have some potential of being at least um, a guide toward better questions. Um, I think that each of us has a kind of consciousness field. That is, the mind is not confined to inside the skull or inside the body. It extends out into the world. It's a kind of wave-like phenomenon. It's not electromagnetic. It's informational. And every one of us is like that. We all have a, a kind of informational um, waveform that's spreading out from us in all directions. And normally, when we are you know, just passing each other by, those um, in informational waves, those, um, let me use the term I prefer actually, informational fields, or you might say consciousness fields, they interpenetrate and, and have no effect on each other. But if we fall in love or we go to a, a concert where everybody is, uh, is completely mesmerized, then our uh, consciousness waves, our consciousness fields will interact and not just pass each other, pass through each other, but instead create a new field that is a group field. And this same thing happens when we're in um, an emergency situation, a, uh, a terror attack or the beginning of a war where uh, millions of people are feeling the same feelings of uh, whatever they are, anguish, uh, fear, um, elation, whatever it is. When, that, when that's happening, we're, again, synchronized, and our consciousness fields inter interact with each other they, um, and create something new, which I refer to as a global consciousness, or what Teilhard de Chardin, in the end, um, describes as our uh, future, which is a noosphere, a layer, uh, which is unitary, but it's comprised of all of us. So that's my uh, sort of general comprehensive notion of how this kind of thing can work. I guess I should add that um, this um, integrated and um, resonant field that's created by a group of people all feeling the same feeling or the uh, a global consciousness, that also has the capacity to bring in random number generators, which I should describe just a little bit. It brings them into the fold as well, and they become part of the global consciousness. And the reason they can do uh, that can happen is that what a random number generator really is, the kind we use, is a device whose future is absolutely unpredictable. It doesn't exist until the next uh, tick of the clock. So, in other words, uh, because its future is unrealized, not determined, it's possible for it to be different from what it might have been. And um, the, the way our consciousness interacts with the random number generators is to provide information that helps to determine the next step in the sequence of, of steps that a, a random number uh, sequence will have. So um, being labile is the same thing as being al alive. Uh, in this sense, we are alive, so we can align with each other and create 
something which we share in the next moment, the next hour, in the next uh, century. <laughs> and a random number generator, its speed is a little different. <laughs> Yeah. But it's the same in, in in some sense. It operates in the same fashion. Yeah, I love that by the way as well. And just to sort of back up your point there as well, something that came to my mind. We were talking about all them connections and things. We were talking about the concerts and things like that, and love and things like that. It's very interesting as well because I know we had um, we just had Dean Raiden on the podcast the last episode, and um, he was he talks about psychic abilities, which I know a lot of your work's linked as well, which is very fascinating. I know you used to have met up as well, but even just the sense of I was thinking in my head there, even just the sense of when you're walking down the street and you have that sort of that sense that someone's actually looking at you and you turn around someone's looking at you and that that yeah. does suggest to me i know dean Rain's done a lot of scientific evidence to validate that why that happens and things like that but that's very interesting it just backs up what you were saying that that we do have this connection that i mean every any someone listening to this right now can just be sort of like dismissing all what you're saying but the thing is or even just that sense of when you walk down a street and you, you, you know someone's looking at you and i know for a fact everyone listening to this podcast has had that once in their life and that's very fascinating to me yes <laughs> it is indeed. Did you say you uh, have talked with Rupert Sheldrake? Yeah, yeah, not yet. We actually, he's actually coming on the podcast in um, in about three months' time. Yeah, he'll uh, be able to help. He'll talk about that if you ask him. Yeah, definitely. He's done some uh, really fine research looking at those kinds of things. Definitely. But you're making me think of uh, well, um, I have uh, finished but not yet published a book, uh, and the title of the book is. We are all inter. We are all connected. We are all connected, and uh, the subtitle is the emergence of global consciousness. So um, that will, I hope, be out in a few months, and uh, people. It will help people have a hard time digging through a large website yeah. uh, by putting um, all these materials in a more uh, linear form. It would just before as well, Roger. I want to jump in. You you, you slightly touched on this before when you were talking about consciousness. But do you would you actually describe consciousness as non-local? Could you go a bit more further into that? Um, well, I mean, consciousness. It, uh, if, if I wanted to, um, you know, go into the sort of physical um, explanations using models in physics, I would go for um, one um, a kind. I, a set of notions that come from David Bohm, um, who is, uh, um, died in the 1990s, but he was, I think, very far-seeing. He's not um, often seen at the at top of uh, the heap um, by people who think about string theory and other uh, mighty abstractions, but he, because he's kind of a, a realist. Bohm talked about the implicate order, which is a kind of background like the whole universe, which is unitary and completely abstract. We, it's not something we have any access to at all, but there is a kind of um, set of mechanisms by which uh, the real world that we are aware of, particles and uh, ultimately uh, human beings, uh, arise out of this implicate order um, guided by something that he calls active information. I think I, I like the idea of active information because um, it's non-local. It is like if I speak about the brain again and our personal consciousness fields, there are information fields which I think um, are more like 
active information. In a certain sense, they are virtual and they can only be realized. They can only be made manifest if there's a need for the actual information. So um, this is probably getting way too abstract for the, you know, for a podcast. But basically, what I'm, um, what I believe is that the, that there is a kind of non-locality about our consciousness, and which means that it extends out into the uh, world indefinitely, and it is possible, therefore, for an entirely global interaction to occur. And moreover, it isn't just spatially non-local, but temporally non-local as well. So uh, we can have intuitions and in intimations of tomorrow. And we also can tap into yesterday um, because our consciousness is simply not confined to uh, this limited space and this limited time. Mm. We are non-local beings. Yeah. So, uh, Roger, do you think, like, therefore, the brain must be, like, acting as more of a receiver of consciousness? Well, that's somebody else's language, not mine. But, I mean, uh, I, I'm... I don't, I'm not um, able to judge that because it's a kind of specialized language. Um, my, uh, I, I'm personally uh, perfectly happy, happy with the idea that, um, that consciousness is, you know, infuses the entire universe and that our physical body and our brain is just a receiver, which I think is the idea you're suggesting. I'm, I'm okay with that, but it's not something I think about. I actually think about my own consciousness as being, um, and yours, as being something that's right here, right now, but it also extends into uh, uh, great distances. If I think about my mother, uh, I suddenly have a kind of connection to my mother, a a kind of image of her, but she died in 2002, and she lived in Nebraska which is uh, almost 2,000 miles from here. And nevertheless, when I think about her, I begin to smell home-baked bread. <laughs> <laughs> okay? That, so um, consciousness is, in my uh, personal view, uh, it's something that's quite real. And um, it isn't, in my view, uh, an epiphenomenon of the neurons banging around in my head. Uh, it's much more subtle and much more complex than that. And I think there's a kind of combination of brain activity and mind activity, which um, produce what we experience. And I, I, I know that there are a lot of people, and maybe I should put it the other way, there are not very many people who can avoid thinking about the brain as the source of consciousness. But I think we should avoid <laughs> that um, idea, um, at least thinking of it as an exclusive, you know, picture, because it just there's too much indication that that's just not true. Yeah, yeah, Roger, I think that was fascinating, and um, it brought it brought me on to this like question in my mind right there. And it, this might sound silly, but uh, um, it's something I really want to ask, and because it's, it makes me actually question it, the individual consciousness that is, if we actually. Um, putting on a global scale on on consciousness versus an individual's consciousness aren't we all like on this individual consciousness haven't we all got like individual sort of like consciousness there 
which is going to be transcended greater than actually a global consciousness because if in if in regards to ourselves our needs must come first like in to breathe to like eat to to sleep to we are always on this like frequency of consciousness where it's all individualized now if we actually break this down into a global connection of consciousness aren't they all individuals on this core global conscious level um well uh, that's nice uh, kind of uh, things things to think about um my my i'm not again i'll do the best i can to touch upon what i think um i'm uh, hearing you ask i believe that we are um that our consciousness has many aspects there is the part of me that is very aware and self-reflective i'm listening to myself talk okay and i'm trying to decide how best to express um the question i think i just understood so all that's very conscious but beneath that uh, is a layer of um ready to go unconscious uh, material that uh, that i that needs to be a kind of reservoir from which i can draw that's not all present it's not all conscious but it's all available in some sense and that's the kind of unconscious reservoir which is easily easily accessed something like memory but it's a little more complex than just memory and then beneath that is stuff that i cannot access it's stuff that uh, drives me uh to feel the way i do uh drives me to work or not work uh depending on you know the shape of that unconscious part of me and then there's a problem there's something like a um another a further kind of surrounding reservoir of uh, also completely unconscious kinds of things which have to do with my nature as a living being on a planet that has trees that are connected to me just as well as other people are and so forth there's a kind of in other words um multi-layered uh, and mostly unconscious um quality of, about uh, uh, of uh, what we think of as a kind of consciousness and, and it is at these lower levels where we really are interconnected this uh, kind of um group consciousness or global consciousness that I talk about is as far as i can tell not at all perceptible by any individual we partake in it we are necessary for it but we can't see it uh except by instrumenting with using something like the uh, this uh, network that um the gcp has so um i'm not sure i uh, touched really the question you were asking but i i hope so <laughs> maybe maybe there's more of it yeah we're, we're, we're both looking at each other there just nodding our heads what an answer by the way we yeah. we'll love that that was brilliant honestly you really pulled pulled out some really gems there by the way and it was just me, me and chris are both looking at each other just thinking wow our heads are expi- blown blown up there and <laughs> <laughs> i love that by the way and then um, i was lo- want to touch on something as well before because um i would love to see your what's your thoughts on um on the relationship between consciousness evolution and uh, biological evolution have you ever thought about i mean this is quite out there but have you ever thought about why our um why our consciousness actually seems to require um like a biological meat suit or even maybe it maybe it doesn't <laughs> uh, have i thought about why our consciousness requires a biological substrate yeah like a meat suit yeah like a body yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah i saw that in your uh somewhere <laughs> the meat yeah the uh, meat suit <laughs> well, you know to be honest i'm not at all sure it requires it there is 
um, some evidence that's difficult to get and difficult to, to judge its quality. There's some evidence that consciousness it does not require um, uh, a living body, um, the meat. <laughs> There's, you know, is the, a question that, so, that very many people are interested in. It's not something I uh, spend any time thinking about, but is there life after death? Is it possible for us to journey um, out of body to other places and to experience other realms? And uh, many people, as I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. feel the answer to questions like that is um, yes. And on the other hand, I, that's about as the extent of my understanding of the situation. I'm absolutely not ready to um, exclude the possibility that a um, meat-free consciousness is possible. I think it is possible. Well, I love that. I love that, by the way, as well. And I wanted to ask you there, have you ever actually, when you were talking about um, sort of um, out-of-body experiences and things like that, have you ever actually had any, because I thought I'd, I'd, be, I'd waste if I didn't ask you, but have you ever... Um, have you ever actually ha- had any experiences of like um, where you've had like a lucid dream or an out-of-body experience before? Well, I, I suppose, um, you know, it's, it, it's interesting uh, to consider that. I, I have, uh, but they're very mild and um, they're not the sort of thing you write books about. Mm-hmm. I've just, it's enough to give me a kind of um, personal conviction that these things that, that other people talk about are not just fantasy, are not just uh, making up stories, but instead are, uh, can be quite real. Now, I, I am a meditator, and sometimes I have uh, fairly strong um, moments of light, which is different from uh, thinking about light, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I, I'm, uh, I have had you know, enough of those kinds of experiences to be quite respectful other people talk about them, but it's not something I uh, spend much time on, either experientially or in terms of talking about them or studying them. Yeah, I love I love that. By the way, I love, I love that. Um, something I would love to touch on as well before as well. We touch on the, uh, the point of um, when I was I was asked you the question about them. Um, does consciousness require a biological meat suit? Something I would love to touch on with you, I mean, because this is very interesting, because in the future, there's going to be the, um, a lot of people are, are talking about the emergence of technology in the future. I mean, I would love to ask you what you actually think about the emergence of AI in the future and how that will actually affect consciousness. Have you ever thought about that? Are you talking about artificial intelligence or something else? Yeah, artificial intelligence, yeah. Um, it's another thing that I, I know about, but I don't think about. It's not an area in which I have great expertise. I have some friends who spend their, I have one friend who spends his life uh, working very hard on that, and some other friends who are, you know, deeply engaged in the edges of it. I have, um, um, I have a suspicion that it will be quite a while before an artificial intelligence becomes a sort of industry, you know, develops to the point of having a, uh, uh, I don't know how to put it otherwise, but being like us. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's possible, but it will be probably about as long as Tehar said it would take for a global consciousness to, uh, for a noosphere to grow. Yeah, I was just going to say, Roger, I think we do put a bit too much emphasis on the power of technology at the minute. I mean, the human mind, it's taken millions of years to actually develop this consciousness. And we, and we trusted the like 
put this into an AI in the form of like a 50 to 100 years. I mean, it's very interesting, but like what's stronger? Is it, is it man's man's ambition and of the future or is it evolution? It's going to be an interesting ride. Um, right. Roger, one of, one of the things I'd like to ask you right now is like, what do you think is the far future of consciousness in the universe? The far future? Yeah, what do you think's in the... In the well, I think it's probably exactly what Tehar predicted, a kind of noosphere, which then will become a universal noosphere. That, but that's really the far future, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I would love to, to um, be able to peek at um, the, the world um, or the universe uh, 10,000 years from now. That's not going to happen. And so I have to depend upon the science fiction guys and gals to uh, create the picture for me. Uh, my my uh, feeling is, though, that there's it's inevitable that we will evolve. If we don't kill ourselves, we will evolve and become much more powerful as consciousness. And it will probably be will probably be an integration of uh, human or living uh, consciousness, the sort that we are familiar with, and artificial intelligence, which I think will have to develop uh, some aspects that nobody's even. I think nobody even understands that will be required at this point. I mean, most people who work in artificial intelligence with uh, fortunately a few exceptions probably don't um, understand that uh, consciousness is made of, uh, of anything but the neurons banging up against each other. In other words, um, most artificial intelligence researchers think they only have to duplicate the activity of the brain. Um, which is, of course, extraordinarily complicated, and it will be, it will be, it's a challenge to do that. But having done that, it won't be enough. I think there is, there will have to, unless, unless that already is sufficient to attract, as you put it before, a, become a receiver for consciousness in the, uh, in the grander sense. Yeah, I love that, by the way, as well. And it's very interesting when you were saying that about how um, a lot of scientists were believing that sort of it's just about the mind, sort of the neurons banging against each other. And um, it's very interesting because um, we had um, Tom Campbell on uh, the podcast. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Tom Campbell's work, but he actually talks about how in the future the AI will actually, the consciousness will actually have to be um, introduced into the um, into the AI. So he was talking about how we would have to actually create an environment where the consciousness could actually sort of be like sort of going going to the AI itself which I thought was really fascinating. Well, okay, it sounds like that's a person who's definitely thinking about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And it's definitely the only way to go, I'm quite sure. Yeah, I mean, the advancements of technology, AI, the mind, I mean, we're, com- we're actually progressing. The human mind, yeah. something yeah. which is incredibly powerful right. into a machine. What's when that? I was very young, I... Uh, in graduate school, I was uh, ready to write two or three books. One of them was on impossible things to think about. But the one that's relevant at the moment is how consciousness comes to be. And I understood it as a confluence of context and uh, and uh, con- uh, concepts of various kinds into a consciousness. But... Um, that was short-sighted. That was um, I had limited experience at that time, so I think it will require a bit more than that. On the other hand, it is uh, more or less the 
kind of thing, except that there will be, who knows, 10, 100 uh, different um, uh, channels that will come together, that must come together to create something as, as uh, remarkable as uh, our consciousness. Wow. Roger, certainly, sir, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on this podcast to really dive deep in all this topic and the global mind, the global consciousness. We are all here right now and we're going to experience this. And Roger, we just like both thank you so much for actually being on the podcast, sir. Yeah, I'd like to well, say, sorry, I'll just, sorry, just allowed to jump in there. Sorry, I was going to say yes. Thank you so much from from both of us as well because um, we'll have really wanted to get you on the podcast for a while now and we're just so glad we, you could come on the podcast and share your knowledge and wisdom. Our listeners will appreciate it. We appreciate it. And just thank you so much. Well, you're most welcome. It's actually... Uh a great pleasure for me to have a chance to talk to people who are actually who are thinking about the same kinds of things. Thank you so much for coming on the, uh, the podcast because um, some some of, you, them, some of the questions that we did fire at you there were, were really big questions and honestly some of your answers were absolutely beautiful by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> It's fun. It's yeah. nice to think about these things. Yeah, definitely. Of course it is. And I think as well, that's why we, that's why obviously me, me and Chris are exactly like you, we're like minded minds. And I think that's why people like us are attracted together because we're trying to just ask, we're just trying to ask questions. Like Chris says, we're trying to ask questions we don't know the answers to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and probably nobody else does, but some of us are willing to go for it. Thanks so much for checking this one out. It was just an honour to dig into the mind of Roger Nelson, who has been in this field for over 30 years now, and he truly is a legend. So please check out more of his work at theglobal-mind.org or just type in The Global Consciousness Project. We really do love what we're doing with the podcast and the messages that we are trying to spread, and we'll be definitely doing this anyway, but if you do want to help us take this to the next level, because with your help, we really will do that, please help us out by supporting the podcast by going to our Patreon page, and we'd also love to see all you guys join in on our monthly online hangouts. It would be so cool to hear about your journeys and get to know more about you guys and you get to know more about us. So anyway, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We'll catch you next week where we have another amazing episode with Stephen Schwartz, who has spent over 30 years studying remote viewing. So anyway, see you next week. Keep seeking everyone. Peace.